So when I was uh, when I was a kid, my dad one Christmas time filled in at a church in Bermuda. Rough life, right? It was great for us. He had to work, but my brother and I got to hang out and, and play. And we loved the, the beach. We grew up in Pennsylvania, going to the Jersey Shore every summer. So just we loved the ocean. And Bermuda has beautiful water, pink sand. I mean, it's a really cool place. And so we're we're out in the ocean one day. And I'm, you know, I'm five, four and a half years older than my brother, and so there's a, a gap between us, and so finding stuff we both like to do, particularly when we're, you know, if I'm 10 and he's six, I mean, it's a pretty big gap. Uh, but we love to play out in the waves, so we're out like in waist-deep water, kind of out in, this, in the ocean and just and loving it, and, and you can see fish swim by, and I'm out there walking, and I see this orange shape in the water. I'm like, well, that looks intriguing, and I wonder if it's just like this big shell, and maybe we could take this home. Um, but I, you know, I'm a good brother. I feel a responsibility as an older brother to, to include my younger brother in stuff because it's just that wouldn't be fair. And so I saw an opportunity. Hey, let's have a shared experience. I mean, I know I saw this, but, you know, what a cool chance for, you know, I'm the one that saw it to, to, to let my brother be the one to get it. You know, like, what a cool moment. And so I, I'd say, Christian, come on, why don't you participate in this moment together? Why don't you, 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 can, you can be the one to pick it up. I mean, what a special moment. That's at least how I choose to remember it. <laughs> right, that we, we, he reaches down and he picks up this shell. Not, not like a shell like this. This is the shell. I still have this. He picked it up. I took it and I still have it 30 years later. Because here's the thing. I don't want to pick it up. I wasn't going to grab that thing. I have no idea what's down there. I have no idea what that thing could possibly be. I've seen Shark Week. I know crazy stuff happens. And so I really pawned it off of my brother. I was, Christian, why don't you do it? He was really my guinea pig. And the terrible thing as I think about it as an adult is, what if it was some terrible, like, orange blob-shaped poisonous fish? (laughs) Dodged a bullet there. Like, that was really glad that it could have turned out worse. But the reality is, it definitely looked like it was worth getting, I just didn't want to be the one to get it because I was afraid of what it could be, right? I mean, like, it's just sitting there. Like, what if there's an animal in it? I don't know. So I let him do it. I was, there was legitimate fear. I was not 100% sure what it was. There was an aspect of the unknown to it, so I didn't want to do it. And I allowed that fear to, to shape my actions. As we wrap up our series, Fear Less, on the fears that we experience, we're going to talk about the fear of the unknown. And this is a big one. This is a big one. We want to know and understand our world. We want to know and understand our world. And that knowledge creates this sense of control, and control gives us a sense of comfort. Right? We want to understand things. We want to, to know what's going on in our life. And so we fear things that we don't know. We fear things that we don't understand. We fear things that we can't control. Right? Because if we don't understand it, we don't know it, then we can't understand it. If we can't understand it, then we can't control it. We fear stuff we don't think we can handle because it's going to be too big or too scary or too challenging. If we can't control it, then we can't handle it. How can I prepare for something if I don't know what to prepare for? And that, that idea of the unknown challenges us to, to our core because we think about facing unknown situations And how intimidating and and daunting that can feel. Unknown situations like how will you make ends meet when you're struggling financially? 
When we face that unknown situation, our response is often to fear. What do you do when your marriage is falling apart? When you don't know what to do, our response is often to fear. How do you handle a life-changing diagnosis like cancer? Response is often to fear. What do you do when the future is uncertain? Our response is often to fear. But it's not just unknown situations, right? We, we don't just fear unknown situations. We fear, I think we fear unknown reasons. Reasons like, why is this happening to me? Why am I going through this? God, why would you let me go experience this? Where are you in the midst of that? We fear those unanswered questions. We fear the, the unknown reasons. We fear the unknown because we fear that unknown thing might result in all the other fears we talked about during the series. Death, failure, rejection, pain. One expert described fear of the unknown as one fear to rule them all. Which I really, I really like that for two reasons. One is it gives a sense that fear of the unknown overshadows. It's this big fear that, that a lot of, almost everything else comes underneath because we fear the stuff that might happen. And, and the second reason I liked it is I'm, I'm always here for any subtle Lord of the Rings reference. Always. One fear to rule them all. I see what you did there and I love it. In 1974, Early in his career, Steven Spielberg had a $250,000 mechanical shark built for the movie Jaws. And $250,000 in 1974 is the equivalent of like a bajillion dollars in, in today's money. I mean, that's a lot of money. And when they finally delivered the shark, Spielberg began to panic. On the first day on the job, the shark promptly sank to the bottom of Nantucket Sound, straight down. Within a week, saltwater had eroded the shark's electric motor and had to be retrofitted with pneumatic hoses. Every night, the shark had to be drained, scrubbed, and repainted. And on top of all of that, he didn't like how it looked. It didn't look scary. It's like its teeth were too white. Its eyes looked too, like, not scary and menacing enough. I mean, this was not, he was super frustrated by how this played out. And in his own words, he says, I had no choice but to figure out how to tell the story without the shark. So I just went back to Alfred Hitchcock. What would Hitchcock do in a situation like this? He says, it's what we don't see, which is truly frightening. The idea of the unseen enemy completely changed the dynamic of the movie, completely changed the movie's direction, because the unknown is often scarier because of what it could be. Right? The unknown is often scarier because of what it could be, because our mind fills in the gaps. We can go so quickly to the worst possible scenario. Our minds can go to assuming that what's not known is going to be the worst possible thing. There's a lot of ways in which WebMD has been a terrible thing for humanity. You know, it's like, I coughed. What is it? It's, it's Ebola. It's got to be. <laughs> One study I saw showed that 85% of the things we worry about, 85% of the things we fear may happen, never actually do happen. 85% of the unknown that we fear, 85% of the things we worry about never actually happen. So why do we live in the 15%? Why are we consumed often by the 15%? Fearing the unknown can lead to insecurity. Because when we don't know what's coming, we can begin to believe that we aren't good enough, we aren't smart enough or talented enough to deal with whatever it may be. Fear of the unknown can, can lead to worry. 
Because when we don't know what's coming, we can be consumed by the what-ifs and stress about possibilities that we don't even know are real yet. Fear of the unknown can lead to anxiety. Because when we don't know what's coming, we can be overwhelmed by it. Those things can cause us to pull back, to withdraw, to seek distraction, to avoid having to deal with reality. At its core, fear of the unknown is really rooted in this idea of control. We fear the unknown because we can't control it. And we all want control in some way, right? We all want control in some way. For some of you, your desire for control is very clear. It's right on the surface. Like everybody sees it. Because you're really particular about where the thermostat needs to be at. Or you got to have the remote in your hand or you get itchy. Like no, you can't, nobody else can control the TV. Like we, think about people in your life, right? Everybody can think of someone who's like, yep, no, they like control. And sometimes we think of control just, just being for those people. The, the people we would lovingly and, and, and very uh, warmly refer to as control freaks. But it's not just those kind of people that, that like control. For, uh, for others of us, it's more subtle. When we want people to think about us a certain way, that's a desire for control. When we want certain things to happen in our lives, it's a desire for control. Even something like the desire for freedom and restriction from restriction or freedom from limitations, that's a form of control. You want to control the freedom that you have. That's our attitude. And we des- when we desire control and can't get it, we fear. Loss of control shapes the way we experience life. We encounter it differently when we, when we feel that. And I want to give you ex- an example kind of of what, what that looks like. I'm going to bring a friend of mine up here this morning uh, to help me out with something. Eric, I'm going to come on up. Eric, thank you. And now, Eric, I imagine you're familiar with sitting in a chair, like you were just sitting in a chair over there. It's something you've done before. We, we sit in chairs, you know, we don't think about it. When you guys came in, did you think, how much thought did you put into sitting in your chair? Probably not a whole lot. Would you put this on? All right, come back, come over here with me. Keep coming. All right, Eric, would you sit in that chair? Don't worry, I'm protecting the computer. To your left. A little bit more behind you. Nicely done, nicely done. Nicely done. Thank you very much. Appreciate you helping me out. I mean, you can sit up there the rest of the time if you want. That's up to you. Think about that. How much thought do we put into sitting down in a chair? Not a whole lot. I mean, if you have a cat, maybe you're concerned about not sitting on it. But that's, that's, a, that's about it. We, we don't really think about it a ton. But think about Eric's approach there. Think about what that was like. When we don't know what's in front of us, we get very, very cautious. Something that we wouldn't even think twice about when we can see, when we can know what's in front of us, right? When we know the road, when we know what that looks like, we just do it. But when we don't, suddenly we get incredibly cautious, concerned about what's around. What what will this look like? What's it going to feel like? Man, I don't want to mess this up. When we give up control, we get really, really cautious. If we're honest, fear of the unknown forces us to ask ourselves hard questions. Are we willing to trust something outside of ourselves? Eric needed to trust that I wouldn't mess with him, that I wouldn't let him get hurt, that I wouldn't let him walk off the stage. Are we willing to have faith when it's hard or when all the information doesn't seem to add up? God consistently puts people in a position to have to trust him. 
Are we willing to do that? When we fear the unknown, folks, our fear has become bigger than our God. When we fear the unknown, our fear has become bigger than our God. We can't know everything. That's not going to happen, but we can know the one who does. We can know the one who does. And so when we think about what the unknown looks like in our lives and, and how does God interact with that, there's three things we're going we're we're to dig into. And the first is this. God calls us into the unknown. God calls us into the unknown. We want to create our safe space. We want to create our, our little safe harbor. We want to create this area where we can stand that's defined, that we know. But God calls us out into the unknown. Stepping out into the unknown is a major theme of the Bible. It's a major theme. It's the basis for the necessity of faith. If we knew everything fully and perfectly, we wouldn't need faith. We need faith precisely because we don't know everything. We don't know what will happen an hour from now, let alone 15 years from now. And I think God does that on purpose. If we could understand everything, then what we would do is put ourselves in charge. We would create this system where we, really we would pull away from God and go, I don't need you. What do you bring to the table? I am in charge of my life. I can control it the way I want. And I think God allows those gaps on purpose so that we have to trust him. We get to the point where we go, I don't know which end is up. I don't know what to do. I think God does that so that we trust him, so that we have faith. We see this all throughout in the Bible. In Genesis, way back in the first book of the Bible, in chapter 12, God calls Abraham, says, go from your country, from your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. Says, leave your home, leave your family, leave your friends, leave everything you know and go to this new place. He calls him. He calls him into the unknown. And we see that idea continued all throughout the Bible to the New Testament, when, when Jesus calls his disciples in Luke chapter 5, he says, they've been fishing all day. He says, now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets for a catch. That's the unknown. They didn't fish out there. They fished close to shore in the spots that they knew. Jesus says, go out into the unknown. We like to believe this, this idea that, that life doesn't have to be uncomfortable or that life can be exactly what I want it to be. But God calls us into the unknown. He calls us to obedience, and obedience has risks because we don't always know how things will happen or how things will play out. God wants to see us develop faith, to understand that we cannot do life on our own, that we can't save ourselves or fix everything the way we'd want it to be, and he wants us to trust him because he can. Hebrews 11 lays that out so beautifully. Verse 1 says, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It's the evidence of things we cannot see. Right, the em emphasis there, it, things we can't see. It's the unknown. But we, see, we can see God work through that. Right? God wants us to trust him and know that in the midst of those things, he is still good, that we can look to him. 2 Corinthians 5 says it even clearer. For we live by faith, not by sight. Live by faith, not by sight. And I think the reason for that is because God knows us. And if we could live by sight... Number one, we would take all the credit for that. And number two, we would set up this world in which we are the most important person. That's just the way we're drawn. But God is saying, you don't know how to make your life work apart from me. You don't. And that that, that sort of disillusionment, that that sort of confusion is the source of our brokenness and our pain and, and believing the lies that, that we can find good apart from him. And so God says, don't trust your sight. Your sight leads you astray. Instead, instead trust mine. Trust mine. 
What if Eric had trusted his gut feel of where the chair was and, and he thought it was over here? That would have been both incredibly scary and also hilarious. But I like him too much. I wouldn't let him do that. But that's us. Like We have these moments where we want to trust ourselves and what we see in our view of things instead of saying, no, 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 God, how do I live by faith? How do I walk by faith and trust that you see more clearly than I do? We limit ourselves and our experience of God when we fight to stay where we know, where we're comfortable, where we're in control. Because often the unknown is a tool that God uses to draw us away from foolish independence and towards himself. We were made for something more than we often settle for. And God is wants to draw us out of that and towards the greater richness of life that we long for. I love this quote. It says, a ship in harbor is safe, but that's not what ships are for. A ship in the harbor is safe, but that's not what ships are built for, right? We like the harbor. We like the harbor master. He's a buddy of ours, and we, there's a great shawarma place on the corner of the harbor, and so we want to stay in the harbor. But that's not what ships are for, and we were created for, for a life that is so much richer than that. When we were on vacation this summer, I, I, I took my eight-year-old uh, to the beach. I wanted to, to get him hooked on the ocean and, and playing around in the waves because I love that, and it's awkward to see a middle-aged guy do that by himself. And so, like, I'm trying to, like, recruit my own playmates. We, we haven't been around the ocean a lot, and so he hasn't, he's never really been in. He's been in, like, played on the sand, but he's never really been in. He's never been in the waves. And so I'm trying to get him to, to, to go into this. I'm, I'm saying, dude, this is going to be awesome. Like, come with me. It's going to be great. You're going to love it. He, he was not having it. He was not having it. Not interested. He'd never done it before. He'd never been in as far as I want him to go. He's not a thrill seeker. And so he's looking at that going, ah, uh, I'm not sure that's a good idea. I was calling him out into the unknown. I wanted him to step out there. And he's saying, I'm going to stay where I know. I'm going to stay where I know. I, I'm not sure that I buy that yet. That's often our response to it. That's often our, our response to God, but we need to understand God calls us out into the unknown because there's a richer experience of life and of him when we do that. But God doesn't just call us out into the unknown. God is with us in the unknown. God is with us. He calls us so that we develop faith, but he's with us because of relationship. That God isn't distant and unknowable. God is with us in the midst of it. We can know him. He wants us to know him. And this idea of God being with us is all throughout the Bible. It, is, it was hard to even narrow down some verses to point to it. Joshua 1.9 says, This is my command, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Isaiah 41.10 says, Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Do not be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you with my victorious right hand. Or maybe a, a psalm that, that people might be familiar with. Psalm 23, 4. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, the worst moments of life, the, the greatest sorrows, the deepest pain, I am not alone. You are with me. Jesus says this same idea in the New Testament. His last words in the book of Matthew, he's, he's telling his disciples as he's been resurrected and brought to life and he's talked to them about what's coming next. He's like, I've been given all authority on heaven and earth. And he sends them into the unknown. He says, go, go and make disciples 
of all nations. Go and do that. And then he says in verse 20, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I am with you always. He wants them to be sure of that. God is with us in the unknown, always, always. Jesus is the fullest expression of God with us. He's the ultimate picture of God being with us because he's God who stepped into human flesh, who lived the the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died. Jesus is God coming all the way to us, meeting us in the midst of our unique experience. God wants us to know that he is with us. It's harder to be afraid of the unknown when the God who knows everything, who sees right through it, is walking beside you. God is constant. God doesn't move. God is always present. And so if we don't feel close to God, the question is, did, we, did he leave us or did we run away from him? If we don't feel close to God, did he leave us or did we run away from him? If we're asking why God has abandoned us, and there's people in this room right now that are wrestling with that question, I think the way to reframe that and the way that I need to think about it in those moments is, is God abandoning me consistent with what I know about his character? Because that's the benefit of the Bible is to see over and over and over again how God has moved towards his people to communicate that he is with them, that he loves us, that we're not alone, that God doesn't say, all right, figure life out now. He doesn't say, Go into the unknown and good luck with that. He doesn't shove us out the door and close it behind us and go, oh, that is, that is going to be rough. That is not going to go well. Sometimes I think we have this attitude that God shoves us in the deep end and, and watches us struggle. And if we make it, great. And if we don't, no big deal. Instead of understanding that God jumps in with us and is protecting us, we just can't see it. Eric didn't know I was walking beside him. But I wanted to make sure that he didn't get in trouble, that he didn't get hurt. That's exactly what God does for us. Whether we see it or not doesn't make it any less true. This one pastor says it like this, to trust God in the light is nothing, but trust him in the dark. That's faith. To trust that God is with us even in the hard moments. As Bauer, I couldn't talk him into going to the ocean. We kind of went in a little bit and and he got freaked out. I get from his mindset, he's going, I, I don't want to do this because I'm tall and so these waves, these waves look tiny. And I'm thinking, this is the perfect time. Like they're breaking right on shore. They're very small. All we have to do is go out like seven or eight feet and we're past the waves and we can just kind of bob up and down. I mean, it's perfect. This is the perfect time to, to, to expose them to this. I mean, it's going to be great. But I'm tall and I forget that when you're this tall, it's like, oh, sweet goodness, those are big. But the difference between this moment and maybe what he's thinking is that I'm with him then. I'm not sitting on the, the beach in a chair going, good luck, son, figure that out. I hope that goes well. I'm walking in with him. I'm holding his hand. I have my arm around him. I want him to know that I am with him in the midst of that. And that's the same thing that God does for us. That we can face the unknown, unknown knowing it's different because God walks with us in it. Lastly, God provides for us in the unknown. He provides for us in the unknown. God loves us and and wants to provide for us. God calls us into that unknown so we can know he's with us and so that we can see how he cares for us. We can't see that provision as clearly when we stay in the shallows, when we stay where we know, because when we do that, we take credit for it. It's too easy for us to take credit when we are in control and that God moves us into the unknown so we realize that we're not, that we're not. 
Psalm 94, 19 says, when doubts filled my mind, your comfort gave me renewed hope and cheer. Said another way, when my fear took over, right, when the unknown began to consume me, your comfort gave me renewed hope and cheer. God provided in that moment what he needed. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says this, this is Paul talking, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. You know what Paul's saying? I don't need to, to worry. I can take the, some of the sting out of fear. I can take some of, some of the, the concern out of fear because I can look at the unknown saying, even when I'm not enough, Jesus is. So I can boast about my weaknesses. I can celebrate that because I don't need to be strong enough. Jesus is for me. God provides in the midst of those moments. Where Jesus is talking in Matthew and he says, if, he's talking to parents. He says, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone? No. I mean, not unless you and your spouse want to laugh at him, which, if we're honest, happens sometimes. But he goes on, if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people, and what he means is broken, imperfect people, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Here's what he's saying. If we have a sense of how to provide for those we love and we are imperfect, how much more can God, who is perfect, provide for us? Not what we want, but what we need. God wants to do that for us. The thing about Bauer in the Ocean is, is he had had a bad experience the day before I took him. He had been playing on the beach and the tide was coming in and a wave kind of came out of nowhere and it washed up and it took his feet out from under, it wiped him out and it freaked him out. And that's fair. I can understand that. This is a, a new world for him and it's like, well, that wasn't fun. And you worry, that, that, is that going to happen again? He's afraid because of that, what he had experienced, and he worried it, it would happen in the future. And so he's cautious. He, he's, he's fearful of the unknown, right? He doesn't know that is what will happen, but he worries based on his experience that it will happen again. But what's different about this moment is that I won't let it happen again. I'm with him. What's different about this moment is that if he does get knocked off his feet, I'm going to be right there to grab him that his experience won't be like what it was when he was alone because I'm in the middle of it with him. He doesn't have to be afraid because I know why it happened, even if he doesn't, and I know how to avoid it happening again. God says those same things to us. Folks, when we understand that God is bigger and his good is greater and that he's for us and that he's with us and he provides for us, there is nothing left to be afraid of. Because we can look at those things that consume our lives, the fears that we've talked about, like death and rejection and pain and failure, and know those are temporary. Those are not forever. That I can look forward to, even if, if I experience this fear for the rest of my life, that it is not the forever God has secured for me through his son. It is finite, but God's love is not. We can look for that. That's the hope we have in this moment. That's the hope we, we can experience when we realize that God has already defeated pain and sin and death and all of the, the fears that we have, they don't hold the same sway in our lives. They've already been beaten. Because of Jesus, we can look at that and say, fear, you are a liar. You have no place here. We can choose to not listen to the voice of lies, but instead listen to the voice of love that comes from God our Father. We can't know everything. 
but we can know the one who does. We all wrestle with this fear in some way, and so what can we do about it? I think the way we can approach fear of the unknown and, and what do we do is start with defining your fear. What are you afraid of? You can't deal with what you don't know. Define it. And often putting a name to something helps lessen the fear of it. Right? If I learned anything from the Harry Potter movies, it's that. Call him Voldemort. That's his name. Define your fear. Because that gives you a starting point. It lets you understand what it is. When we allow it to be this nebulous, generic thing, it can, it can often be bigger than it really is. Define your fear. What are you afraid of? And the second thing is understand your fear. Why are you afraid of it? Dig into it. And really, dig into what's beneath it. If you're fearful of making ends meet, I mean, that's a reasonable fear. right? But what's beneath that? What's beneath that fear? You should pay your bills, right? That's a good thing. But, but why is that fear so significant in your heart? Is it because the way you see yourself is as a provider for your family, and if you can't do that, then what value do you have? What's the fear underneath that? Why are you afraid of it? And oftentimes, this is the hardest thing for us to do because it requires us to be honest and authentic and transparent with ourselves at a level that can be incredibly scary. We have to examine who we are, how we see ourselves, what drives and motivates us, and sometimes ugly stuff comes out. But folks, better out than in. Better out than in. Understand what drives you because it's only when when you know why you're afraid of it that you can begin to address it and correct it. And that's the third thing is engage your fear. How can you work through it? And really the question to ask in this is how is God bigger than your fear? Because he is. The cross of Jesus is the ultimate forever victory over our greatest enemy and our deepest fear. So we can look in fear and go, I'm not afraid of you the same way I was. I'm not afraid of you the same way I was. God can is always, always, always bigger than your what ifs. God can is always bigger than your what ifs. And if we're willing to engage in that, we're going to get some hard questions. Like, are are you willing to trust someone outside of yourself? Are you willing to have faith when it's hard or all the information doesn't add up? But no, God consistently puts people in a position to trust him. Are you willing to do it? But you don't have to just take my word for it. Take a look at how this plays out in the life of one couple. Our first two pregnancies, we delivered at home with a midwife. And our third pregnancy, I decided I wanted to try a midwife at a hospital. When we went in for delivery, I was 41 weeks, and we had a difficult labor, and I ended up with an emergency C-section. During that C-section, they had to perform a cut that isn't performed very often. It's called a classical cut. Um, And that was to get our son out in an emergency. And during that operation, the OB got a sight of my colon and was concerned with what he saw. He gave us the evening, um, and the next morning, he came into my room and shared with Ryan and I um, that he was concerned with a mass on my colon. 
So I had just lost my dad two months previous, and uh, we had we'd gone through a really almost traumatic pre uh, delivery and pregnancy, and then to get a, a cancer diagnosis was the biggest soul punch I've ever had in my life. We didn't know what we were gonna do. Where, where do you go from there? In that moment, the word that God gave me was grateful. And I told him that it was grateful. And we knew that the first two deliveries had gone great and we could have delivered the same way we did but instead this time we were in hospital and our little guy chose to come in a different way than we expected and that was the only way in which we would have found out about our cancer diagnosis. During this journey there's been times where it's it's brought us to the end of ourselves our our abilities to uh, take care of day-to-day -day needs even um, and that that's brought me to a place where I've had to allow other people into my my life and that, to be honest that's been difficult because I'm a fixer and I want to try and take care of those things myself um, but I think what God's calling me to do is to allow other people into my life I would say that every experience we've had, every week that has gone by in the last six months of this journey, God has shown us His hand, whether it be through other people supporting us, whether it be through praise and worship music, whether it be through a sermon, um, friends that call just in the nick of time, family members who just get it and know um, that we need something. I, I, I mean, I could go on and on about the ways that he's shown me I'm not alone. Through all of this experience, we're, we're able to, to trust because we see the story that he wrote that was a long time ago. Uh, some of it goes back years in the making mm -hmm. and it's starting to come around now and uh, we're, we're seeing the evidence and uh, that that restores hope and has restored faith for us that that God is present in our lives and he's here he's real in the in the midst of all this unknown I I do know that God is good I have a, a ton of faith that that God is continuing to weave a beautiful story and I have a lot of hope. I went from a place of hopelessness to a place of hope, knowing that I'm a part of a much bigger plan that he has, and I'm okay with not knowing what that plan is. From hopelessness to hope. Fear can be crippling, but it doesn't have to be. Ryan and Siobhan don't know exactly how their future will play out, but they trust the one who does. And so can you. Why don't you bow your heads with me as we close? I want to give you some questions to think about, to, to let sink into your heart as you go today. What do you fear? What fear is, is taking up root in your heart? What area of unknown are you struggling with right now?
What keeps you from trusting God in that area? What would it look like for you to give up your control and trust the God who created you, loves you, and who knows everything? Father, we thank you that you love us. Father, we give fear such a big place in our life, and it is so hard to let go of that, but we thank you that that doesn't have to be our future. We thank you that you love us so much, that you move towards us, that, that you call us out into the unknown, not to make our lives miserable, but to draw us towards yourself. We thank you that we, you are with us in the unknown, that we don't have to take that on by ourselves, Lord, you walk with us and that you provide for us in the midst of it. Lord, allow those truths to penetrate our hearts to a deeper level than they ever have before today. Father, dig out those areas of fear that we hold on to. Dig out those things that poison us from the inside out and replace them with your hope and your truth. Father, drown out the voice of lies that we believe and instead, Lord, help us to only hear your voice of love. Father, we thank you that we don't have to be afraid. We thank you that you have won a victory on our behalf if we would just receive it, if we would just live in it. Help us to understand what that means a little more today. We pray this in your son's precious name. Amen.